one thing that I think really connected a lot of people throughout my time was actually music. And so when people look at my playlist sometimes, they're like, what are you listening to? And I might be listening to like, I don't know, some South African house music at times, or I might be listening to Afro beats. And so for me, um, being in London really gave me the opportunity and exposure to so many different avenues to kind of enrich myself and immerse myself in different um, languages, cultures, and all of that. Welcome back to another episode of Kel's Big Little World. For our new listeners over on this channel, I'm Kel, and I interview guests from all around the world to explore their beliefs, careers, and day-to-day life, all to reveal that we are united in something greater, a shared journey to this big little world we call home. And today, we'll be talking to a woman who has an impressive work through our education and continues to learn around the world. Ben Franklin once said, tell me and I forget, teach me and I remember, but involve me and I learn. Our upcoming guest has devoted her research and volunteer efforts to conquering a global issue from Ghana, Africa. So let's welcome Vice President Jayla Johnson. Jayla Johnson is Vice President of J.P. Morgan & Chase Company, which is a leading financial and banking service around the globe. Ms. Johnson may be young, but her global education at the University of Michigan and the London School of Economics and Political Science has granted her the knowledge to lead. She's originally from Detroit, Michigan, but has worked throughout Washington, D.C., Ghana, Africa, and so much more. Jayla Johnson is a vice president, trilingual in French and Twee, a global learner, and an advocate for global equity. I want to start off by thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Kelly. Of course. Well, I want to start with your upbringing. Your mom, Dr. Adrienne Booth, was a guest, a previous guest on the show. And as discussed, she's done extensive work in business and nonprofits. So how did your parents' work have an effect on what you wanted to do in life? I think that my parents really are responsible in large part for where I am today. One, I think they gave me a lot of great exposure growing up. Um, So Sometimes they'd have corporate events and I was always able to go. I was able to practice my elevator pitch um, with a lot of their colleagues. And also they put me in environments where people gave me really great advice. So there was never a time where I couldn't ask a question or somebody made me feel like my question was a dumb question. Um, And I, I got a variety of perspectives from a lot of their friends and a lot of our family. And so I feel like, you know, that experience was invaluable to me. Um, And I can remember, for instance, even my decision to go to London School of Economics, when I was um, in my early teens, my mother had a really good friend who had a women's conference in London. And she took me with her one year to speak at the conference. And the woman just mentioned, you know, one day you could be this successful, you could have this type of a platform. And I said, you know, it would be great. She mentioned something about the London School of Economics, and it always stuck with me that that was sort of a really great caliber in terms of a you know academic institution. And she made it seem as if the best and most brilliant minds in the world went there. And she really empowered me um, to do the research and to look into it. And so years later, when I was in college and I was applying to graduate school, I did think to myself, could I get into the London School of Economics? And so that helped me apply. And and. So I really credit her and I credit my parents for always putting me in positions um, to kind of stretch my thinking and and to be exposed to ideas that seem radical, um, but in the end weren't as impossible. They were actually really attainable um, if I you know put my mind to it. So I think that's really 
sort of what their influence did for me. Were your peers or classmates, did they have the same opportunities as you or did you feel like you had a certain advantage over them? I think so peers in college or peers in high school? Either or. I think that high school was a pretty level playing field in the sense that I went to a really small Catholic school in Atlanta and my peers, we all kind of had all these clubs and in a small school, you can do a lot of different things. So a lot of us were in choir um, or just in, in different groups. So I always played competitive soccer um, and I was in a, what we call a Taze Ama choir. So I went to France with the group um, a couple years in a row, but we all had the same initial exposure. I think it's kind of how we, what we did with it and how we saw the world because of that exposure that really made the difference. I would say in college, you know, everybody charts their own path. And I think that's where um, you start to see that everybody's sort of vantage points start to change or people start to, you know, go their own ways. And for me, I remember a lot of my peers, we all wanted to do study abroad. I know that I wanted to do something in Africa. One, because I'd previously been to the continent a couple of times with my parents. Um, but two, because I was an African studies minor. Um, and I also, well, at the time when I first started at Michigan, I was a French minor. And then I took a class on um, the Haitian revolution. Um, and then I got into really sort of like black liberation studies in theory. And so over time, I really started to grow my interest in that realm. And I said, I want to go abroad a couple of places. So my summer after my freshman year, I went to um, Grenoble, France on a study abroad trip. And then I loved it, but I stayed with an Algerian homestay mom. Um, and she really taught me a lot about the Algerian liberation movement and just some of the struggles that they had had. And I was at the time studying a lot about colonialism and post-colonial states. And so I thought to myself, well, I know now that I've had this experience in Europe, I definitely want to go to the continent. And so a lot of my peers, we all had really interesting study abroad experiences. Um, I have a friend who went to China and honestly now is is doing incredible things in the space um, in terms of like just um, like eco or environmental justice initiatives and and um, air pollution, air quality rights issues. Um, but that was informed and influenced by her trips to China. Um, and so I think each of us had different exposure, but still the same opportunities and the same kind of nurturing to kind of follow our passions and and to use those experiences to kind of build our, our career journeys or career profiles. So, yeah. So coming from such a small Catholic school, why did you choose to go to the huge, you know, college of U of M? Yeah. So my choice to choose Michigan um, was in a lot of ways, an easy one <laughs> because my father also had gone to U of M. So go blue always, but he was a student athlete um, in the 70s. And for me, I always just kind of had in the back of my mind, we'd go back every year um, for his reunions and things. And so as I got older, I started to feel like Michigan was family. It was home. It was a really sort of supportive environment. And I always looked forward to the trips back. And I had learned the fight song like really early on in life. And I just, you know, that <laughs> that in itself is just, um, one of those things that once you know it, you, you always feel kind of a part of that, of that family or that group. Um, and so I chose between University of Michigan and Wellesley College. And Wellesley for me um, was really a dream because 
I, I feel I've always been intellectually curious. And I think that's something that's really important for people to have. You have to have intellectual curiosity. Um, and it's part of my self-development journey is I've always tried to push my limits. So whether it's, you know, books I'm reading or news articles or conversations I'm having with people in, in various um, career fields, but I've always been intellectually curious about things. And I felt like Wellesley was really a great opportunity for me to sort of explore um, some of the areas I was most interested in. And in the end, I chose Michigan because one, I wanted to be really close to my family in Detroit. Um, so my dad's side of the family is all based on the East side. And it was really just important for me to be um, away from home, but also close to home, if that makes sense. And then also I had had a couple of relatives attend Michigan and they were very clear that it made all the difference in their careers and that Michigan will prepare you. It's a world-class education, as they say, and it prepares you for the next steps in life. And for me, I just knew, you know, I want to be great. I really want to be successful. I, you know, want to be a servant leader. And I had just heard great stories about how Michigan did those things or made people into those those things. And so that's kind of what led me there, but it was a, it was the hardest, but easiest decision I've ever made. And I, I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to have that education. And it, it honestly, I mean, the, the connections, the friendships, the network have been invaluable to me in my journey. And I think it's really important to pay it forward. And so I always, you know, I'm really excited to see the new Michigan students come in and, you know, the new alums as they move to, I'm based in Washington, DC. And so seeing new alums when they come to DC for their first jobs or their internships on the Hill, it's just really exciting to me. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was honestly the best decision I've ever made easily, hands down. When you got on campus, what were some of the things you were involved in? Oh, well, the beautiful thing about Michigan being so big is you can continuously consistently, constantly reinvent yourself. So my freshman year, I was in a bunch of things. I joined everything. And then over time you learn, you know, you need discipline and uh, the more engaged you become in a specific group, you know, the less time you have for other things. And so um, some of the things I was really involved in, I was in National Council of Negro Women in CNW. That was really important for me because it was my first opportunity to um, experience sisterhood. So our chapter was just all different um, age ranges and grade levels, all different backgrounds. And it was my first sort of environment with Black women. Um, and it was a non-competitive space. Everybody was supportive of each other's dreams and just worked together to solve problems. And I just, I remember that being something that felt really special and to this day, we still keep in touch when we're in each other's cities, we do dinner. Um, and it's just nice to have had that as a sort of starting point for my career, because, you know, sometimes you find yourself in situations where you're like, I just need to phone a friend and it needs to probably be an older friend who's already been through this situation. So um, whether it was like switching my classes, dealing with professors, dealing with boys, you know, there was always somebody I could call. And so I was really active in NCNW. Um, other things, I was a part of um, our Black uh, pre-law students association. I really thought I was going to law school for a minute, maybe a minute and a half. I was very into it. Um, and so I, I think I was like vice president or president of Beulah, I think it was called black undergrad law association for a couple of terms. And I really enjoyed that. 
Then I joined a pre-law frat called Cappy. So I did Cappy for a while. Um, and I, I, I think I really, in addition to sort of my bread and butter organizations, I also just kind of participated in just random things. So I did the salsa dancing classes. I did a lot of the protest. I did French club um, and, and really anything that anybody um, in terms of my friends or just my classmates were a part of and they were hosting something. I'd be like, well, what time? I'll go. And, you know, sometimes I might go to one or two of the events. Sometimes I'd go to 10 of them. It just depended on, on, you know, what I was looking for at the time. But I was, I would say that I really appreciated that Michigan offered me a really diverse experience and, um, and empowered me to, to ask questions and just continue to sort of build my understanding and my perspective on different issues through the club. So I was involved in a little bit of everything for sure. So as you were, you know, getting involved with everything, how did you balance, you know, your friendships and then your personal life on top of that? I don't know if I did. I don't know if I did it well, uh, especially in the beginning. I think that that's the beauty of college is trying to find yourself and, I think when you're faced with so many different options or opportunities at once, it it really does force you to make some really tough decisions on like who you are going to be um, in that moment because you can't be 12 places at once. Um, and so there were really times where I dropped balls and I learned, I, I was reading this article about like the type of balls you can drop and some balls are glass balls. Some balls are actually like um, rubber balls. And so there were balls that I dropped early on that were glass balls. You know, maybe it was a friend's recital or a friend's big event. And I just didn't prioritize and I wasn't disciplined um, enough to really fulfill those commitments and, you know, meet those expectations. And so I think over time, the work-life balance part of it got easier, but also my goals became clearer and more concise and I worked sort of in alignment or in support of my dreams and my vision. So when I realized I wanted to go to law school, I was really focused on, in a lot of ways, anything that would strengthen my law school applications. So I made friends with those that were in law school and, you know, made them mentors. Um, I went to all of the chats on like our, you know, sort of in our law quad area um, and anything that was open to undergraduates, I did. I joined a pre-law frat. You know, I tried to create all of the sort of environments that I could to make sure I had the tools to succeed. And then when I decided I didn't want to go to law school and I wanted to get my master's instead, then I had to cultivate an environment that was conducive to that. And I also, I graduated a year early. And so I had to get really focused um, because it's one thing when everybody thinks you're graduating in four years and there's always more time and you'll hang out with all your friends a little bit more and next year we'll do it this this way or that way. And so when I realized, wait, you're three, I'm three and done and sort of four and done, you know, then you become even more laser focused on some of the the goals that are going to strengthen that application or um, the, the things that you're realizing. Like I always said, I do that before, you know, I graduated and now here I am. So um, there were a lot of those moments where I had to pivot and I had to really build a work-life balance that worked for me. And I don't think I truly figured out um, how to juggle it all until about my my third and last year. That's where I really hit my stride. And I think that that's really important for people to know sometimes, because I think especially at large schools, some people assume 
people have got it figured out. Everybody but me has it has it all aligned and I'm the only one. And I think it's, you know, really important to know like people are evolving in real time. And even those who look like they have it together are really still trying to put all the pieces together. So um yeah, work-life balance was something that I absolutely learned um how to manage as as I had more sort of things I had to prioritize. So after you graduated um, Michigan, you went on to London, as you were talking about, what did that experience away from home, just really that sense of independence look like for you? It was different. It was, it was, um, it was a culture shock in a lot of ways. I remember somebody saying, well, make sure you pack your, your rain boots and your rain jacket. And I was like, what? And mess up my fashion? No, thank you. And I remember it rained like every day. I mean, it rained a lot. And I was like, oh my God, you know, and it got to a point where it was like, I can't leave my house without my rain boots because I'm not doing this. And so, um, you know, I think that what was great about London is I left at a time where I was really, I, you know, I'm a very sensitive person. And when I was at Michigan, we were sort of right in the heart of some of the initial, um, court cases um, related to police brutality. And so I remember, you know, Sandra Bland and like just, you know, there were a lot of things about like the US justice system and just the treatment of of black people at the hands of police that really, really bothered me and affected me very deeply. And so um, I think I, in a lot of ways went to London to escape and to try to see, you know, how do other cultures um, find commonalities how do people coexist like what is the cultural flavor of a different you know how how do people really see the world um through each other's eyes and so it was fun because you know I really formed a great London British accent which I'm not that proud of now because it's rusty and now it sounds like a little bit of South African and Australian a little bit of everything in between but you know at the time I was really out here fooling people with my um English accent a little bit but um, but I, I think about the lessons that London taught me about being on my own and having to rely on myself. And I really attribute my like graduation and my completion of my degree to my group of, of female friends, my girlfriends, um, that I met that were also black American, um, and trying to navigate, you know, really complex spaces. So when you're in London, um, you know, you're, you see yourself as black, but others might not see you in the same way or blackness might be different. And so I had a lot of kind of conversations where I was kind of lost in translation. You know, it was taboo to talk about racism in a certain way. Um, or I felt like I experienced a lot of nuanced racism with, with friends who were not American, but were black. And I was in a program specifically that attracted a lot of international students, especially from sub-Saharan Africa. And so when we would go out, my experience would be very different um, with some of those friends than they would be with some of my white friends who were English. Um, and so I really struggled a lot with like the nuance because a lot of, I think of the racism that people might experience in the UK is just very different. Um, but outside of, of those elements, I really enjoyed the idea that every day that I woke up, um, was a different day to explore a totally different cu culture, 
totally different country. And so I did all the touristy things. Um, I did the things where, you know, I lived like a local and just, you know, kind of tried to put myself in a, in an English person's shoes. Uh, I drank a lot of tea. Um, but more than anything, I really appreciated the education system and the way that their curriculum and their institutions were structured. And so it gave me a lot of time for self-discovery. Um, and what I liked is I think sometimes in the U.S., because our tuition rates are so high and because we have in a lot of ways um, made sure that education also has a, a business model that works for the U.S. economy, in the U.K., it's a little different. And it's all about sort of self-development, self-actualization. And um, when you're studying something, it's not about memorization or completion. It really is about comprehension. And so it was great because I was able to challenge myself on how well do I really know a topic. And so just an example, for instance, um, at the end of your, you might have the end of a semester and you might not have an exam. All of the exams take place at the end of the year. So some of my courses were for the full year and some were just for one semester. No matter what, it's all at the end of the year. And I was really surprised because um, when we started doing our study guides, it turns out that your end of the year exam might just be one question, might just be one essay question. You know, tell me your thoughts on post-colonial state formation. Um, is there such a thing as a post-colonial state or something? You know, it's something very, very, very broad, very theoretical. And you essentially have three hours to put on paper everything you could ever have thought about the subject. And so it really stretches your ability in a timed environment to say, I really am an expert in this subject, or I really do have the ability to articulate a thought to a random person, a random, you know, grader that I know what I'm talking about. Um, and so I appreciated the way that it stretched my thinking and it made me think, you know, um, holistically about a problem in a way that in the U.S. we kind of like to do a sort of like a fine point or we like to be very specific about a, a topic. And I liked in the UK how it was, you know, in a lot of ways testing the limits of your knowledge on something. So. So both at U of M and the School of London, you had done a lot of research about Africa. And like you were saying, like the liberation, what originally piqued your interest to study that? I think initially I've, I've always been interested in culture and understanding Black America and the Black American experience. Um, I remember, for instance, back to just my parents, um, every year my mother, um, through her job, would take us to Essence Music Festival. And so she would work at Essence and I would be able to spend the day kind of doing whatever I wanted. Um, and I remember I used to go on plantation tours um, and I just was always just fascinated by um, like Black resilience and just our ability to survive through whatever situation or, or type of, you know, whatever oppression that we experienced. You know, part of the missing piece is, well, what happened on the continent? What happened to what theoretically would be my people? And so for a lot of people, we, for a lot of Black people, we think of Ghana or we think of Nigeria or um, anywhere on the West Coast is sort of the point of no return. And that's where our stories to the US or to you know the Americas really started. And I've always just been curious about 
the origins of things, um, how things come to be the way that they are. I think that goes back to like just being intellectually curious. Um, but for me, I've always wanted to sort of have answers that I could understand and process through for myself about what the Black experience was. And I think that that in a lot of ways has um, been something that's motivated me and carried me through my different, you know, career um, career assignments. And just even in my personal life, I think about, you know, I am a lover of all things, like just um, culturally brilliant or culturally beautiful. So for instance, I collect vinyl records um, and anywhere I go. So I went to Brazil a couple of months ago and I fell in love with Brazilian music um, and just, you know, some of the, like the Samba jazz era and things. And so anything that I can use and connect to and relate to, like I was, I was in a vinyl shop and they were playing music and I was like, wow, you know, this is, this feels very soulful. This feels very, you know, black American-esque. And then you start researching the different artists and you realize, well, they were inspired by Coltrane. They were inspired by Miles Davis. You know, they were inspired by Marvin Gaye or Al Green or, you know, and, and some of the greats of, of black culture. And so I think I'm always um, very excited to learn how all of the worlds kind of connect to each other and connect together. And uh, I think that's what keeps me kind of going in each of my, you know, career decisions and things. So after you achieved your master's, what eventually led you to work at J.P. Morgan Chase? So after my master's, I transitioned to federal government and I worked for, I did um, YALI, the Young African Leaders Initiative. Um, so I worked on the USAID side on that on that program and I really loved it because the program was essentially investing in um the the brightest and most brilliant entrepreneurs and leaders from the continent and I felt every day that that was a dream to wake up and to be surrounded by brilliance um and it just it felt so aligned to my master's degree. It felt so aligned to the work that I was really passionate about. So it was perfect. Um, after my USAID time, because I also did a stint um, in our in the USAID office of US Foreign Disaster Assistance. So after that time, I transitioned to local government in Washington, DC, and I did a fellowship. It was three rotations, and they were all focused on sort of our low-income, um, predominantly Black population in the city. And I think it was great because I wanted to go from a macro perspective, which is USAID and, you know, dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, to really thinking about at a micro level, how do we create sort of an intervention system? How do we create a strategy um, that targets a group that we want to lift you know out of the situation and into sort of you know a more affluent trajectory and so the time I spent in local government I think was um, extremely impactful but I struggled because I realized it's not just the work of government to to support vulnerable populations that private sectors um, really, the private sector really does 
have tools and resources that can be leveraged to make change. And so I ended up at JP because one of my mentors um, and somebody I worked for at USAID was telling me once, you know, when I mentioned about corporations having a role to play, she goes, well, you should go into corporate responsibility, corporate social responsibility, CSR is the hot thing. You should really think about it. So I switched to, so I started looking at CSR jobs and JP Morgan came up and it was for a role on what was called advancing cities challenge. And I was a program manager and I managed that competition. And so I ended up coming into JP through the JPMC foundation. And over time, you know, I think our firm has, has really tried um, to do a lot of incredible things in the space. Uh, we launched an, a $30 billion racial equity commitment. And I was so sort of impressed by the work that we were trying to do that I ended up staying with the firm and I ended up joining a team that was really focused on, on carrying out that commitment. And the rest is really history. And I think it's really a testament to, um, I think that, yeah, it's important that you find um, a mission that you are passionate about. Um, and I, I have to do mission aligned work. I can't just, I applaud people who, you know, don't like coding, but can be a software engineer. That's impressive. I'm very impressed. I personally have to be working on something that I am passionate about and I love. And so for me, working on something related to communities of color, um, working on something related to creating more equity in the world is just really essential to me and my being. So that's how I ended up at the firm. Now, a question that I ask everyone my guests, and it's specifically you because you've had a global understanding of this question. When did you realize that the world was smaller than you originally thought? I worked in Ghana for a small nonprofit in this area called Peacetown. It was right outside of Kaswa. Um, which is a little drive outside of Kra. And I did that in college. I worked in federal government for a little bit. And then when I transitioned to local government, I met a, a, a woman who was in my fellowship program who had done her master's degree with the man who ran my nonprofit in Ghana. Just through the last two years alone at the firm, I really lived by the 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 idea or the mantra, you know, be kind because everyone is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. But I think about just how small the world really is. And it's important that you put good energy into it because that's the one way to, to ensure that you'll get good energy back. Welcome back to another episode of Kel's Big Little World. For our new listeners over on this channel, I'm Kel, and I interview guests from all around the world to explore their beliefs, careers, and day-to-day -day life, all to reveal that we are united in something greater, a shared journey to this big little world we call home. And today, we'll be talking to women who has an impressive work through our education and continues to learn around the world. Ben Franklin once said, tell me and I forget, teach me and I remember, but involve me and I learn. Our upcoming guest has devoted her research and volunteer efforts to conquering a global issue from Ghana, Africa. So let's welcome Vice President Jayla Johnson. 